Okay, well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. And uh, I, we've got uh, Connor and his grandpa here and got Ronnie and his family here. And Brother Harold and the rest of them are out sick. So <laughs> I say that we have a few folks not sick, but um, we did encourage <clears throat> folks that um, perhaps they would want to watch online this morning uh, just because of so many folks that had been sick here a week or so ago. And so hopefully this will be our last service that we have to do uh, recommend folks to watch online, and um, so hopefully we can uh, get back to our normal schedule here pretty soon. So um, anyway, let's take our songbooks, and if you are at home, if you know the song, sing along with us. Grace that is greater than all our sin, <clears throat> and I love thinking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul, writing to the book of, uh, in the book of Romans in chapter five, speaks to the fact that that uh, there is. Uh, abundance of God's grace. He said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Have you ever thought of this thought that you can never exhaust the grace of God? Uh, God giving us things that we don't deserve. And I think one of the best expressions of God's grace is Him giving us His mercy. Uh, because we certainly did not deserve that. And uh, when we think of the grace of God... Uh, several songwriters have written it this way. The only thing they know how to describe it is by using the word amazing. Amazing grace. And uh, we thank the Lord for it. Well, if you have, have a songbook handy at home or if you know the words, and those of you that are here, we're going to sing a cappella this morning. Miss, uh, Miss Evelyn is at home sick as well, and so continue to pray for her, Miss June. Uh, trying to be careful of things as well, so continue to pray uh, for both of them. So we're a cappella this morning, so do the best you can, all right? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold. Threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with Him. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, 
grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing on the service this morning. Father, we come to you and we're very grateful this morning for those that have been able to come. Uh, Lord, even though it's small in number, uh, certainly it's a joy to have them here to be a part of this service. Many that are tuned in by way of the live stream. And Lord, we do ask that you would touch those that are sick, many of them out sick this morning. We pray that you would raise them up and strengthen their bodies. And Lord, bring them back to us and give them healing where it's needed. And uh, Father, that... Uh, we can uh, rejoice here in another week or so and look back at how you've answered prayer and uh, we give you the glory and rejoice in what you've done. We do pray that you'll bless the service this morning. And Father, speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help us even now to uh, lay aside our uh, burdens, the things that would distract our hearts and our minds. And Father, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to just waste the time to be here today and just go through the motions of going to church and going through what we know we ought to do on a Sunday morning. But, Lord, we ask that you would do a work in our hearts. When we leave this place, we can say it's been good to have been here, that your Holy Spirit has done His work, that your Word will have gone forth and uh, changed our hearts and caused us to draw closer to you, caused us perhaps to see some areas in our lives that need to be changed and to be brought into line in agreement with your Word. And so, Father, we ask that you would bring conviction where it's necessary, give encouragement and strength where it's necessary. And, Father, through all of it, I pray that you'd help us to understand and know best how to respond to it, to put application into place and to be able to take the truth that we learn from your word and apply it to our lives. We pray that you would receive the honor and glory in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll make just one quick announcement. Uh, if you were not here or did not tune in for uh, the Sunday school hour, um, we did have a small business matter that Brother uh, Wayne Dealman, our deacon, one of our deacons, uh, addressed um, in the early part of the first part of the Sunday school hour. So, if you're tuning in by live stream and you did not um, tune in for Sunday school this morning, uh, if I could encourage you to go back and just watch, even if it's just the first five minutes of it. Um, to see what Brother Wayne was dealing with there. And if you have any questions, to give him a call. Uh, his number should be posted in the comments uh, underneath that video. Uh, he does have a cell phone, so he'll answer that. You can call directly to him. And uh, then after you listen for five minutes, go ahead and listen to the rest of it for Sunday School. And I uh, hope it will be an encouragement to you. We dealt this morning in Sunday School on the issue of uh, the bond servant or the bond slave that was spoken of in uh, Exodus chapter number 21 and the significance of that in uh, the way that it applies to our lives today. And I, 
uh, I want to encourage you to go and listen to that if you did not already do so, and I uh, hope it will be a help and encouragement to you. Well, let's take our songbooks again, number 178. 178. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted. I almost preached this morning on the Bible, and maybe uh, maybe next week we'll do so. But uh, I'm thankful we have an anchor that is unchangeable and unmovable, some standard that we can go back to and not worry about if it's going to change tomorrow. And uh, God's Word, the Bible says, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The psalmist wrote that. And uh, the importance of God's Word in our lives. As uh, At our church, we believe that our Bible is our sole authority. It's the only authority of faith and practice. If your pastor ever gets up and teaches something contrary to this book, and you have to make a choice, am I going to listen to my pastor or am I going to listen to this book? I'll tell you as your pastor, listen to the book. Uh, that means I was wrong and it was right. And uh, we hold to that. And I, I make no bones about that. Man is fallible, but aren't you glad God's Word is infallible? It's not able to be uh, in error, and so we thank the Lord for our Bible, and uh, we'll sing about that this morning, all right? Number 178, and we'll sing all four verses. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted. Sing it with us if you know the words, and follow along. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal and they glow with the light sublime. The Bible stands though the hills may tumble it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stands. The Bible stands like a mountain towering far above the works of men. Its truth by none ever was refuted, and destroy it they never can. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. The Bible stands, and it will forever when the world has passed away. By inspiration it has been given, all its precepts I will obey. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. The Bible stands, every test we give it, for its author is divine. By grace alone I expect to live it and to prove it and make it mine. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Amen. Aren't you glad we have a Word of God that we can hold to? In, uh, in the storms of life. I'll tell you, uh, any of you ever go through problems in life? <laughs> Struggles, trials, valleys? We've all been there, haven't we? The uh, truth is we go through them probably more than we ought, uh, ought not to. Uh, and we don't like them. 
But I'm thankful that when we go through them, we have God's Word to guide us and direct us. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It gives us guidance. And boy, what a great song this morning. Enjoy that. Well, number 204, if you will. Number 204, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. I was talking, well, just a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, I think it was, Brother Kevin said, you know, it's amazing in these days that we're living in, it seems like the world is having less and less of an impact on me, less and less of a hold on me. And isn't that the case? Usually as we draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, the things of this earth begin to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. And I love this song. Uh, we'll sing all three verses. Number 204. If you know it, sing it with us. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, He passed and we follow Him there. Over us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen. You know, I love, I love the Word of God, but you know, I love the presence of God. Have you ever, you ever experienced the presence of God in your life? I hope we do. I hope we do on a daily basis in our walk with Him. Uh, you know, to me it's amazing as we <clears throat> study Scripture how often God's presence made such an impact and such a difference in the lives of folks. I remember the first time I ever read through the book of Haggai. One of the, I enjoy reading Haggai. And um, in Haggai, in chapter 2, they uh, begin to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. Solomon had built this beautiful, beautiful temple. And, I mean, just ornate and everything was just perfect in it. And it had been destroyed in, uh, under... Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, the walls had been rebuilt, and during Haggai's time, uh, the foundation of the temple had been laid, and for nine years it lay dormant. They didn't do anything more with it other than the foundation. 
And God finally comes to Haggai, the prophet, and he says, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? This house lie waste. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. He tells him to go up into the mountain and bring the wood and build the house, and he would take, honor, he would take glory in that and honor in that. In chapter 2, the men of Israel began to rebuild the temple. And some of the old-timers that remembered the old temple in, in all of its majesty and all of its splendor began to be critical. They said, boy, this, this house is nothing like the first one. This temple for God is nothing like the first one. And God intervenes and tells Haggai, he says, I want you to go and tell the people not to give up and to keep working and to be strong. And he says, I want you to tell them that I will fill this house with my glory. And it will be greater than the former house. And you know, the, the uh, amazing thing is that it doesn't matter the physical temple, how it looks or what it appears, but it is the presence of God in it that makes the difference. And I hope that we, you know, the Bible tells us that our bodies now are the temples of the Holy Ghost. I'm fat and bald. <laughs> I'm thankful that the glory of God is not dependent upon me and the physical appearance of my tabernacle. But oh, when God fills that tabernacle with His presence, isn't that such a joy? <coughs> we begin to see it in our lives and uh, boy, what a presence there is. And we thank the Lord for that. Well, we're going to be in Psalm 47 today. Psalm 47. And it's uh, just nine verses. We're going to read the entire psalm. I love uh, reading psalms. When I was in college, I had been in the habit of reading one proverb a day. And uh, one of the professors at college had made a comment, just kind of in passing one morning in, in class. He said, if you'll read one psalm a day, it'll change your life. And I began to read one psalm a day. And boy, what a difference it made. And that was amazing. And uh, still continue to try to read the psalms on a regular basis. And uh, you get to Psalm 119. I used to just read a section of Psalm 119 each day. And uh, then one day I decided I was going to sit and read the entire Psalm 119 in one sitting. And uh, read it carefully. You know how you get sometimes you're reading and you get done reading two or three verses and your mind had wandered. And so I, I had to caught myself two or three times doing that. And so I'd come back and reread it again, those two or three verses, and start over. <coughs> but, uh, boy, I tell you, the Word of God is amazing as we read it and understand it. And uh, the psalmist is, is one of the great, great writers of Scripture and we'll begin in verse 1 of Psalm 47. And I love any time a psalm is started with the word, oh. And uh, what that tells us is that the things that are getting ready to come after this <coughs> are very exciting. These are things that uh, are so amazing that we sit there and we say, oh, wow, that is incredible. You ever had something like that? You ever say something like, man, I can't believe this. And this little word, oh, kind of gives that, that emotion to it, that idea behind it, uh, that, hey, there are some things here that the psalmist is getting ready to pen, and he's so overwhelmed by it that he begins with the expression, oh. And he says this, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. 
He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom he loved, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message and encourage our hearts. Help us this morning to lift You high. I pray that You would help us to have a renewed and refreshed vision of who You are. And, Father, that we would rejoice in that today. May there be some things in this passage that will draw our hearts closer to You, that will cause us to try to live more of the way You would want us to in our lives. And so, Father, we ask for Your help. We ask for Your Holy Spirit to guide and to direct, both in the teaching and in the listening of this particular passage. Lord, may it do its work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love reading about uh, things like this where the psalmist does all that he can. If you think about it, the psalmist is a man who wrote uh, a lot of psalms and a lot of hymns, a lot of poetry, had a very good command on the language of the time. And have you ever thought about this, that we can take all of the expressions that man has and try to explain God? And you know, all that we could say of God, we could never come even close to it. Somebody wrote years ago in a song, Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scrolls contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. And you know, have you ever tried to explain God or try to understand who God really is? We live in a day where we, we know God and we kind of think of God as this big uh, 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 God up in the universe that created the world and He created man and He did all this stuff. And, but oftentimes, as we go through our daily lives as Christians, we think of God pretty small. We begin to worry. We begin to fret. We begin to have problems in our lives not trusting Him the way that we should. <coughs> and the reason is, in our minds, we think of Him as very, very small. The psalmist speaks of this, and he talks about how great God is. And verse number 2, I want you to notice, he says, For the Lord Most High is terrible. Now, he's not saying that He's awful or He's horrible. What he's talking about here is that He is so great, He's so mighty, He's so powerful, that, that people tremble before Him, that, that we are in, in awe of Him, if you will. Uh, hold your place here for just a moment and turn over to the book of Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah and his description of God as he sees God in chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his feet, face, and with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. 
Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purred. I also, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And as we get to these passages, we can almost hear the excitement in Isaiah's voice that, Lord, if you need somebody, here am I. But at the beginning of the chapter, he was so in awe of God that he could not even speak. I'm reminded of the passage when Saul of Tarsus, who had been going around murdering Christians and arresting them and seeing them be put in prison and put to death and thinking that he was doing God a favor. On the road to Damascus, the Bible says that there was a blinding light and a voice from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Paul's response at that time, Saul's response at that time was, Who art thou, Lord? He had fallen from his animal. He was blinded. He was in this bright light in the glory of God shone round about him. And the people around him didn't see or hear anything, but he did. And can I tell you this, that we look at that and we say, Boy, uh, Paul was able to see just a glimpse of who God was. Moses went up on the mountain in the book of Exodus. We've been studying a little bit about this. He goes up to get the commandments from God, and he asks God. In fact, we're just a couple chapters away from this. He asks God if he can see him. He says, I want to see you. And God says, no man hath ever seen me and lived. And Moses kept after him. And finally God says, I'm going to do this. He said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you behind a rock in a little sheltered area. And he says, I'm going to cover you with my hand. And he says, I'm going to pass by. And I'm not going to let you see me, but I'm going to let you see just the hinder parts, the very, the very trail end of my glory. Now, just that small brief exposure to the, the, the hinder parts of God's glory was so powerful that for days after Moses came down off the mountain, people could not even look upon his countenance because it was so bright and shining with the glory of God. I've said it so often before. I read a book years ago by the name of uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, written by a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. In chapter 2, he made this statement. He said, whatever we think God to be, He is not. And by that, he wasn't trying to minimize God. He was trying to exalt God. And he's, his idea was that if we take the very furthest our minds can imagine what God and who God is, that we will not have even begun. How can a finite mind of humans ever express or understand the infiniteness of God? The psalmist says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is great, a great King over all the earth. He has subdueth the people under His feet and the nations under our feet. And our message this morning, I want you to look with me, is in verse number 4. Psalm 47 and verse number 4. He shall choose our inheritance for us. It's important for us to get a view and a picture this morning of who God is. And what we're going to deal with this morning is the idea of getting to a place in our lives where we want God to make our choices for us. 
I'm going to talk to you about this a little bit this morning. There's some things we don't have a choice of in this life. Uh, many of you didn't have a choice of um, who your parents are going to be. Some of you didn't have a choice of who your brothers or sisters are going to be. <laughs> some of you may wish you could have chosen that. There are some choices we don't have. Uh, you didn't have a choice of what name you were going to be given. Uh, you can change the name, but your birth certificate will always read what your given name was. Uh, there are some things that you have to choose and no one can choose for you. And uh, you can't, for instance, you cannot have someone choose to be saved for you. You cannot choose for somebody to get you to heaven. That's a choice you must come to grips with. There's an understanding you must have of your sinful condition. The fact that Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day in order to pay a price that you and I could never pay. And then he turns around and he makes salvation so gracious to us. Isn't that amazing? Why in the world God would make salvation so gracious to us and so free to us? I don't understand other than to say it was because of His great love. If you ask me why He loves us, I cannot answer that question. I don't know. But I'm thankful He does. And so He turns around and He says, I want to give you eternal life. I want to be able to take men who are already condemned in their sin. We don't have to do anything to, to be condemned. He says, I want to come and I want to save them. I want to give them a way out. I want to give them a way of escape. I want to make sure that these folks can have uh, the opportunity to come and be all of eternity with me in heaven. And so he came to this earth. He paid a debt he didn't owe, but we did. And then he turned around and he said, Now if you'll put your faith in me, if you'll trust what I've done on Calvary, if you'll trust that for your salvation, not your works, not your church membership, um, not, not, not the home or the family that you grew up in, I want you just simply to trust me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And He gives us the opportunity to put our faith in Him. We get eternal life because of it. Can I tell you, that's a decision no one can make for you, but you have to make for yourself. <clears throat> Every day, you and I have to make some choices. I wish, I wish that we could make choices and then that would be it, especially when it's a choice to live a certain way or be a certain way in our lives, inwardly. But there's a great battle that goes on, doesn't it? If we don't maintain walking with God and spending time with God, it begins to deteriorate. A violinist years ago, world-renowned for his violin playing, and was invited to travel all over the all over the world to different countries, and stood before kings and prime ministers, and would play his violin. Had beautiful music. Made a statement one day. He said, "If I miss one day of practice, I notice it." He said, "If I miss two days of practice, my family notices it. But if I miss three days of practice, the entire world notices it." Can I tell you this, when it comes to our walk with God, when I miss one day, I notice it. If I miss two days, others begin to notice it. If I miss much more than that, it begins to be the whole world seeing some things. I wish our decisions could be made one time, our choices could be made one time, and never have to worry about them the rest of our lives. But the truth of the matter is we have to make choices every day, don't we? Things that come our way. And there's a third type of choice. There's some that we can't, we don't have any decision over. We, they're made for us. There's some that only we can make. Nobody else can make them for us. But then there are those choices that we can make 
but we'd be far more wise if we would let God make them for us. There's some things that I want us to look at in this passage that I think the psalmist deals with. The truth of the matter is, we as sinners oftentimes make choices based on what we think is best, and yet we lack the wisdom often, don't we? In fact, James said it this way, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally, and it breatheth not. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What was he saying? He was saying, Let God make your choices. We can certainly make our own choices, but oh, how much better it would be if we would just rely upon God to make them for us. Look with me in verse number 4. He says this, He shall choose our inheritance for us. And while this is written to the children of Israel regarding the inheritance that God had for them, can I tell you this, the same application of this truth holds true to you and I today. The children of Israel could have made their own choice. God could have said, you pick out the land you want. But how much better it was that God chose for them. So oftentimes we, we, we try to rely upon our own choices and think, boy, I've got my own wisdom, I can do this on my own. But how much better it would be if God would choose for us. You know God's plan for us in every single day, God's plan for us is far greater than you and I could ever imagine. I wake up in the morning time, I don't know about you, but sometimes either laying in bed the night before, or that morning, I'll lay there for a moment or two before I get up. And I'll begin to think all the things I've got to do that day and begin to plan and put my day into place. But you know, as much as we can organize and plan and have our social calendars and our work calendars and our, uh, our amusement calendars all laid out and our life fully organized and planned, do you know that God's plan for us is greater than our plans for ourselves? They're always greater. I heard a preacher say this one time, God never wastes a day. <laughs> you ever thought of that? There are sometimes I get to the end of the day and I think, boy, that was a waste. I, I didn't get a whole lot done today. You know that God never wastes a day? Not one time. He tells us, in fact, that we're to redeem the time. We're to make sure that we're, we're uh, following His will, His plan for our lives every moment of every day. God's plan for us is far greater than anything we could ever imagine or think about. He tells us that so many so often before. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. <coughs> he tells us that we will see exceeding great and precious promises. That we'll have things that even our minds cannot imagine. Oh, that we would allow God to organize and plan and make the choices of our day. To lay them out there. I want to give you three reasons today that I believe the psalmist deals with this issue Three reasons why I think you and I ought to give our choices over to God every day. Number one, because God has a better perspective than we do. God is not bound by time. You ever notice that? You and I are bound by time. We see things looking forward. We see, uh, uh, boy, I, I, I know uh, this is a decision that's before me, and if I take plan A, this is what I think will happen, and plan B, this is what I think would happen. But can I tell you this? God doesn't live in time. In fact, the Bible tells us that He knows the end of a matter. He already knows what the end of that will be. Two different places in Proverbs, the Bible says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How does God know that? Because He already knows the end of the matter, doesn't He? Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 7. For God is the King of what? 
What is he? For God is the king of all the earth. Isn't that what the Bible says here? He's the king of all the earth. Look in verse number 2. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Can I tell you this? If there's not a sparrow that can fall without God knowing it, if there's not a hair that drops off of my head, and that's a big order, that he doesn't notice and know the count of how many hairs I have on my head, can I tell you this? He certainly has a greater perspective of things than I do, doesn't he? He certainly knows the end of a matter far better than I do. I can make that choice. I can say, and this is how many people do with God. They, they say, God, I, I, I'm saved. I'm trusting you with my soul. I'm trusting you with my eternal destiny. But the rest of my life, Lord, I want you to just sit over in the corner until I need you. I'll take care of the rest of my life. I'll make my own decisions. I'll live the way I want to live. And if I ever need you, God, I'll come over and get you. And that's the way most people live. But all oh, that we would bring him in. I used to tell young people when I was, uh, when I was a, a youth pastor, a young youth pastor, and I just didn't know any better. I used to tell them, I used to say, listen, when it comes time for you to make uh, your list of things in life that you're going to do, God doesn't want to just be on your list. He wants to be at the very top of your list. Well, I got to a place in my ministry where I began to realize that, man, there's a problem with that. Even if I make God the top of my list, I was still the one making the list. And I finally got to a realization that I ought to be teaching young people, listen, when it comes to making a list in my life of what I need to do, I need to take a blank sheet of paper and hand it to God. And say, God, you fill this out. Why? Because He sees things better than I do. You know, the only thing you and I can do when we trust our own wisdom for choices in life is make a mess of them. That's really all we can do. We can never do better than what God can do, can we? And His way is always the best. His plan for our life is always the best. Number two, not only does He have a better perspective, but number two, He loves us. Look with me, if you will, in verse number four. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he, what? Loved. He's going to choose the inheritance for the excellency of Jacob. He's going to choose this for the nation of Israel because he loved Jacob. He loved Israel. It was his love that caused him to say, I want to do this for you. Again, Israel could have chosen their own things. You remember when Abraham and Lot were getting ready to separate and Abraham takes Lot and he says, I want you to make a choice. Man looked at it, Lot looked at it, and he said, I like the well-watered plains of, towards Sodom, didn't he? He looked toward that and he said, boy, there's lush grasslands out there and there's, there's prosperity out there and boy, there's so much out there. And he went that way with his own wisdom. We all look back and say, boy, that wasn't a real good choice for Lot, was it? And yet Abraham said, I'll take whatever... God leads in. And God began to bless Abraham's life, didn't He? Because He loved him. Can I tell you this? We ought to let God make our choices for us because He loves us. And can I tell you this? He loves us more than we love ourselves. Yeah, we all love ourselves, don't we? You say, oh, Brother Greg, I don't love myself. Sure we do. The Bible teaches us that. In fact, the Bible says that we're to love our wives the way that we love ourselves, don't we? He tells us that we're to love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves, don't we? You know why he used that reference? 
Because usually the best love and the greatest love we have is self-love. And he was saying, I want you to treat these others the way you would treat yourself. Can I tell you this? God loves you and I more than you and I love you and I. He loves us more than we love ourselves. He wants the very best for us more than we want the best for us. He wants the greatest satisfaction and plan in our lives. He wants the greatest uh, peace in our lives. He wants the greatest joy in our lives. You say, Brother Greg, I want peace. I want joy. I want some contentment in life. I'm just not satisfied. You know, God wants that for us more than we want it. So let Him make the choices in our life. Give it over to Him. Say, Lord, You show me what You want. I don't, I, want, I don't want to make that decision. I want You to make that decision for me. Show me in Your Word. Show me by the leading of Your Holy Spirit. What do You want me to do in these areas? Why? Because He loves me. He loves me more than I love myself. He loves and wants what, what's good for me more than I love myself and want what's good for me. Oh, that we would give our choices to God. And number three... It's because He always wants the very best for us. Look what He says in verse number 4. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom He loved. He didn't want just the minimum. He wanted to make it the very best of the best. Every once in a while I'll joke around and I'll be like, uh, well, that's just the way we roll, you know, or, or uh, the very best. You know, we only want the best. Can I tell you this? God wants the best for you and I. By the way, His best is not the same best that the world might look at and say that's the best. We often think, boy, if I just had more money, if I just had a bigger house, if I had more vehicles, if I just had uh, more of this, more of that, I'd, I'd be happy. Boy, if I could just get to this point, I'd be happy. Can I tell you this? We need to learn. The Bible tells us, in fact, we need to learn contentment. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. Instead of saying, boy, if I just had this, I'd be content. Why don't we just say I'm content with what I have? Go ahead and get the contentment. I heard a preacher the other day dealing with the subject of uh, how much money is too much money for a Christian. Well, that's a, that's a hot topic for today, isn't it? How much money is too much money for a Christian? And I, he came up with one of the best answers I think I ever heard in my life. He said, whatever amount of money causes us to put our trust in it instead of God. That might be $100 for some people. That might be $100 million for others. But can I tell you this? God wants the very best for us. And he wants it for us more than you and I want it. And so the psalmist, he talks about the greatness of God. And this is why I want us to understand this and know this this morning, the greatness of God. Because here I am, little Greg Boer. I'm fat, I'm short, I'm 50 years old, I'm bald. Not everything goes right in my life. And then I can make that choice. Or we have the God of heaven over here. The one that the seraphims fly around the throne with wings that cover their face and wings that cover their feet and say, holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts. The one that when He appears to people and, 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 and humans, uh, that they cannot do anything but fall prostrate on the ground in awe of Him. 
I can either make the choice myself, me, Greg Boer, or I can say, I want this God that, that the psalmist speaks of here. The one that is the Lord God over all the earth. I want Him to make the choice for me. I, I uh, just a, a, about a year ago, scraped a couple dollars together and decided I was going to not let the bank make the interest on it. I was going to put it in some investment type things. And I did, it wasn't much. In fact, I started with $50, I think it was, the first little bit I put in there. Didn't have a lot to invest, but I put a little bit in there. I didn't know what in the world I was doing investing. Didn't, didn't. I mean, I just, hey, that looks like a good stock. I think I'll do that one. And, but then I had the opportunity for someone that had been in the investment world all of their life to share some of their help and some of their knowledge to me. And you know what I began to do? I began to say, you know what? I don't want to pick the stock. I want that guy over there to pick the stock. I want him to show me what he's going to do. Why? Because he had far more ability to do that than I did. Now, you know the difference between that illustration and what I'm asking you to think about with relation to us and God is that also God loves me more than I love myself. And God wants for me more to have His plan fulfilled in my life. He wants that more than I want it. Not according to what the woke up this morning, God had something for my day. Have I followed that plan or have I taken it myself and said, Lord, I'll take care of this. You go ahead and wait over there. And when I get around to it, maybe if I need you, I'll have you come over and help me with it. Or did I say, Lord, I'd rather you fill out my plan for today. I really want what your will is for my life. We've said it so often before. The psalmist writes, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. All he was saying is, I, I don't want my will. I want the will of the Holy Father. The one that I can come to and say, Lord, I don't have the wisdom in this area. I need you to make the choice for me. I need you to show me, direct me. And he will. He said, Brother Greg, how is he, how is he going to direct me? He uses two things in the day that you and I live to direct our paths. Number one, he uses his word. He uses His Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Over and over and over again, He talks about in Joshua chapter number uh, 1 and verse number 8. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. He said, Brother Greg, I don't have a lot of money in this world. That's not the level of success. Level of success is, have I done God's plan for my life today? Have I followed what He wanted for me today? Have I taken my will and yielded it to Him today? That's the level of success. Oh, that we would let God make our choices for us. The second way that God shows us His plan for our lives through His Word, first of all, and secondly, through the leading and the prompting of His Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no substitute for the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts and our lives and showing us through His Word often, 
but occasionally He just allows our hearts to understand and to know this is what needs to be done. We've got a choice to make. Some things we don't have a choice on. Some things we must make the choice on. We've got a choice to make, and here's the choice. Am I going to choose to let God choose for me? And that's our choice. Are we going to choose to let God choose for us and then follow it? And I'll tell you what, I I cannot even imagine what our lives would be like if we would ever grasp this to the place where we put it into practice in our lives. I, I, I really don't. Somebody told D.L. Moody years ago, the world has yet to see what a Christian, a person, wholly yielded to God can do. And D.L. Moody said, by the grace of God, I'll be that person. And he did. He, for the rest of his life, he, he put forth effort. He pressed to try to be that person that was submitted and yielded to God fully. But the truth of the matter is, D.L. Moody was human like you and I. And even D.L. Moody, as much as he strove to, to be a, a person that, that submitted, yielded himself completely to God, even then, D.L. Moody had things that he did not completely yield. And the truth is, the world has yet to see what a person completely yielded to God can do. I think it ought to be our heart's desire. He said, Brother Greg, are we ever going to get to that place of absolute yieldedness to God? Not till we get to heaven, but it ought to be the pursuit of our hearts. Paul said, I press toward the mark. He didn't say I made it. In fact, when he got to the end of his life, he said, I haven't attained. I haven't made it. But he said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He said, I've pressed for the mark. Are we going to make the choice to let God make our choices? I'll tell you, I'd much rather have His choice in my life than mine. I've seen the mess mine make. And are we going to allow Him to make our choices for us? Let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. May You encourage us and challenge us to give our will and our choice over to You. That every day we would renew it. And maybe even throughout the day that we would come to a place where we say, Lord, I don't want my choices, I want yours. And then to follow through with them. Lord, may we apply this truth to our hearts, to our lives. Thank you for those that have been able to be with us this morning. And pray that you will give them safety as they travel back. Those that are not able to be here, those that are tuned in online, I pray that you would help to encourage them, strengthen them. And Father, again, we ask for their healing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Dismissed.